All right, peoples, go ahead and have a seat if you'd like. If not, you could stand the whole time. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Hey, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake. Welcome to Arbor Church. We're going to start a new series today, something we're calling God's Will. We didn't make up God's Will. It's just a very clever title, just God's Will. And so the truth is, here it is. I think most of us in this place would stack hands on the idea that to some degree or not, we are a sum total of the decisions that we have made. We are a sum total of the decisions that we have made. Uh, decisions like, should I take this job or should I not take this job? Should we move to take this job? Uh, should I buy this truck or should I buy this car? Should I date this person? Should I break up with this person? Should I marry this person? Should we have kids? If we have kids, how many kids should we have? Should we have like one kid or two kid? Maybe four if we want to get like 20. I believe they're up to 19. We could go for beating the Duggar family. Uh, uh, but uh, all these decisions, for better or for worse, you are here today because, or you're at where you're at today, because of the decisions that we have made. And so with that said, that means that there are some regrets that we've had inside of our life. Um, at least some of us, we would say that there are moments or choices that we have made in the past where we're like, Haha, I wish I could go back and do that one over. I wish I could redo that one. Um, I wish I could try again. For example, laying out with your wife on the beach um, and uh, for a long period of time, and you end up looking like this right here. So uh, uh, that was a regret. I regret that. I regret showing you that I wear Calvin Klein underwear as well. So um, I regret the whole thing about that picture. Yet I still made that choice to put it up there. Uh, for some of us, it's entire chapters of our life. There are whole sections of our story that we wish we could just rip out and throw it away. And so when someone comes to that section in our life, we'll be like, well, what was this? And you're like, I will never tell. That was, I don't want to talk about that. And so the reason discovering God's will is so important is because most of us are tired of making these bad decisions and we wish we could stop making um, these mistakes over and over again. And so we ask God for guidance because we believe, or at least we've heard, that, um, that he has some plan for our life, that he has a purpose for our life, that he cares about us. So we plead and we pray and we say, God, would you please reveal your will towards me? Uh, so the challenge is obvious in this. The challenge is how do you hear from God? How do you know if God is speaking to you or it's just what you ate the night before? How do you discern God's will? You can look in the Bible. You can pick up your Bible and you can, you know, you can look in there and you're like, Solomon, he had 700 wives. Maybe that's for me. I'm not sure. Uh, you could ask other Christians. You could ask them. But oftentimes when you ask other Christians, uh, you'll get conflicting advice because Christians are different people and different people have different opinions. And so uh, you, could, uh, you could get in a room. Maybe some of you have done this. I know I I did this for a long period of time and just sit in a room and I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait until God speaks to me. I'm just going to, Lord, please reveal your will. Please reveal your will. The next thing, Lord, that pops into my mind, that will be your will. And you're like, pizza. And you're like, 
pizza, what the heck is that? You know, it's like, do I deliver pizza? Am I hungry for pizza? Those things don't work. And so let's be clear. I have never heard in my life an audible voice from God. I don't want to hear an audible voice from God. I think I'd be so freaked out that it was audible that I wouldn't even hear what it had to say. I'd just be running and ducking for cover. And so the challenge is this. The challenge is, is, is difficult. How do I understand and hear God's voice? And if he really does care, I would ask myself this many times. If God really does care about my decisions, about me, about my choices, then why does he make it so dang hard to discern his will? And maybe you're here and maybe you feel that way. Um, Here's a promise. Let me give you the back end of a verse. This is the verse we're going to sit on today. It's probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Uh, You've heard the verse John 3.16. This is probably the second most popular verse. We'll hit the back end right now, and then we'll hit the front end at the back of the talk. So here's what the back end says. It says, and he, this is the promise, God's promise, will make your paths straight. He will make your paths straight, which means... God will, when the time comes, make it obvious. He will make it clear to you about what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go, who you're supposed to become. That is a promise that God has made for everyone. Anybody who wants to know, who wants to get in on knowing what God's will is, he has made that promise to us, that he will reveal it, make our path straight, make it obvious. The good news is this, you guys. God wants you to know his will for you more than you want to know your will for you. He wants you to know it. And trust me, I do believe it is possible. And so to set us up for this, I want to give you a little background. And truthfully, I want you to write this down. You have some notes in front of there. This is going to be the context, what I'm going to give you right now, the the context for not just the talk I'm talking about today, but the entire series that we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. This is kind of the background to kind of set the stage. Here's what it is. Whenever the Bible references God's will, Whenever you look it up, if you were to look up the phrase will of God, it comes out in one of three ways. It always falls into these three categories. Number one, it's the providential will of God. There is the providential will of God. Number two, there is the moral will of God. And number three, the one we're most interested in, the personal will of God. So let me explain this a little bit. The providential will. Let's start there. The providential will of God. These are the things that God is going to do no matter what. There are just some things that God is going to do simply because he is God. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to spend time trying to discern what it is because they are going to happen anyway. For better or for worse, they are going to happen. Um, Here's a couple of examples. Jesus coming to earth. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, talks about how Jesus was, it was God's will that Jesus were to come down. We're not going to put the verses on the screen, but just give, you want to write down the reference, you can. But Jesus, it talks about him coming to earth and that that was God's will. That was something that was going to happen. They didn't need to pray about that. It was going to happen. Judgment day, that's coming. Revelations 20, verses 11 through 15. Revelations 20, 11 through 15 talks about the fact that all of us, 
us will stand before God at one point in time, and he is going to cast judgment on us, whether we knew his son or we did not know his son. There are other references as well. The second coming, that's going to happen. The new heaven and the new earth coming together, that is going to happen. There are just some things that God is going to do. It's not dependent on our obedience. It's not dependent on our faith. It's not dependent upon us at all. There are just certain things that God is going to do. That is his providential will. Now, even though God's providential will is not dependent on us, it doesn't hinge on us, it is still important, it's so important to know what his providential will is, and here's why. is because throughout history, God has chosen, he has elected to use men and women to fulfill his providential will. That's why it's super important. For example, one day, Mary, you know, God comes to Mary and says, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to have you. You're going to be the mom of God himself. You're going to raise God himself. And, and, and God could have said to her, hey, you're, you can't stop me in this, right? It's going to happen. But Mary, I choose to use you in this process. God came to a guy named Abraham one day. His name was Abram at the time. And he said, hey, Abram. Hey, I want to use you. You can't stop this. I'm going to rise a nation to that would be my people. And it's going to be the children of Israel. And you are going to be the father of many nations. Abraham, I choose you. That was the providential will of God. For some reason, God chooses to use us, ordinary men, ordinary women, to accomplish his providential will. And so, this is why it's important. So as believers, the more familiar we become with what God is up to now and what he is about to do, the easier it will be for us to discern the personal will of God. Okay, that is the providential will of God. Now, number two, there's the the moral will of God. These are the things that God has already asked us to do. They are the commands, the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. You don't need to pray about these. You don't need to get on your knees and ask God, should I lie? Should I lie, God? Should I lie? Right? You don't need to ask God, should I murder that person? You don't need to ask God that. You don't need to ask God if you should watch The View. He's already answered that question. Okay? <laughs> Obviously, all those are a no. Okay? Couple of examples. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. God says it is God's will that we would be holy. Catch this. For it is God's will that you should be holy. You are to abstain from sexual immorality. So ladies, if your boyfriend comes up to you and says, hey, you know what? I think maybe we should move in. It makes economic sense. You wouldn't buy a car without test driving it first. You wouldn't, you know, buy a pair of shoes without trying them on. You don't need to ask God about that. You don't need to pray about that. He's already answered that question in his moral will. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 15. You're not going to want to memorize this one. This is about obeying the government. It says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do, who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Here it is. For it is God's will that by doing good, what good is he talking about there? He's talking about obeying the government. He just talked about it. You should silence the ignorant talk and foolish people. It's crazy, right there, we're supposed to obey the government. So, 
to be in God's will. That means that most of us were out of God's will when we drove 70 miles an hour to get here, sit down, find a seat, and listen to what God has to say to us today. It's kind of ironic, right? Next Sunday, what is it? It's tax day, baby. It is tax day. Best day of the year, right? No, it's not. Um, So if you're asking the question, should I withhold on my taxes, and that's a question you're asking, God has already answered that question for you. He's already answered that question. These are commands. This is God's moral will. So here's the deal. As believers, the more obedient we become to the moral will of God, the easier it is for us to discern and to decipher and to hear the personal will of God, the third part, the part we're all interested in, the personal will of God. All right, so here's what the personal will of God is. Should I marry this person or not? Should I switch careers or should I stay in the job I'm in? Should I move to that location or should we stay here? Should I drink Coke or should I drink Pepsi? All very important questions. Very important questions. Here's the good news. God is more interested in these decisions, like I said, more interested in you knowing his will than you are, but he's interested in these decisions as well. He is the personal will of God. Here's a couple of examples of this found in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 1.1, it says, Paul, called by what? Called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul personally felt that he was to be an apostle. Was everybody who ever existed called to be an apostle? No, that was the personal will of God for Paul. 1 Peter 4.19, this is another one we shouldn't memorize. So then, those who suffer, and this is crazy, they suffer because it is the will or God's will for them, should by their good actions trust themselves completely to their creator who always keeps his promise. This has become a very personal verse for me. Is this for everyone? Is everyone called by the will of God to suffer? And the answer is no. There is a select few. There are a select handful that are called by God's will to suffer in this lifetime. It is God's will. For better or for worse, that's what God wants. And so the point being, should I switch jobs? Should I buy this house? Should I propose? Should we buy a pet? Should I confront this person? All fall into the category of God's personal will. And here's the context. This is everything. To summarize what I just talked about, this point I want us to understand. The more familiar we become with the providential will of God, and the more obedient we become to the moral will of God, the easier it will be for us to discover the personal will of God. Does that make sense? All right, the more obedient or the more the familiar we become with the will, providential will of God, what God is going to do anyway doesn't matter. We just need to know about it. And the more familiar we become or the more obedient we become to the moral will of God, what he's asked us to do already, his commands, the easier it will be to discern and to decipher the personal will of God, the part that we're all interested in. Let me see if I can explain this in a different way. Years ago, I was a junior in college. I remember this so well. And I did not know what I wanted to do with my life, just like every other person that's in college, right? Don't know what you want to do. So what do I do? I call my dad. 
I call my dad and I ask him, I complain. I'm like, dad, I don't know what I should do with the rest of my life. What should I do? What am I called to do? And my dad gave me the craziest answer that I have ever heard. And it was, it's nuts. Here's what he said on the phone. I'm thinking maybe he would talk to me about it. We dialogue. There was no dialogue whatsoever. Off the top of his head, here's what he told me to do. He said, I want you to go to a Goodwill store. And I want you to go find a puzzle. It needs to be at least 500 pieces or more. It could be 1,000, but it got to be at least 500 pieces. I want you to put that puzzle together. I want you at that point to take it back apart, put it in the box, shake it up, put it back together, bring me the puzzle in Eatonville, and then we'll talk. And I'm like, okay, Mr. Miyagi, what the heck is going on? Right? So no joke, I did that. Garrett, maybe we can grab it for me. I did that. I went into a Goodwill, and they didn't have a lot of puzzles that were over 500 pieces, but I found a puzzle in a bag, in a bag, people. You don't know if you're going to have all the pieces or not. And so what I did is I put it together, and I put it all back together, just like my dad said. I then, once it was together, I put it back apart, put it in the bag, shook the bag up, then went back, put it all back together again. I was in my dorm room in these days. I remember people were going out on Friday nights, and they were asking me, hey, you know, you guys want to come with it? You want to come with me? And I'm like, no, I need to stay here, and I need to do my puzzle, right? I spent my nights, my days in my room doing this puzzle right here over and over again. And here's what's crazy about that whole situation. By the time I was going to go and bring it back to my dad, the second time I was putting it together, I had figured out what God's will for my life was. It was nuts. I can tell you where it was at. I was putting this roof together right here. I remember it. I remember that's when I was felt a calling to be a pastor. Now, here's what I mean. Here's how this applies to it. Here's how this all works together. The providential and the moral will of God, right? We need to know what those things are first. They're kind of like our framework. So the very first thing I did when I got this puzzle, not having a box to look at and to compare what the picture should be, what do you do first? You put the, the border together. I pulled all the border pieces, I put them in one section, and then I moved everything else over, and then I constructed the border. Friends, what I'm telling you right now is the providential and the moral will of God is the border that you put up around your puzzle. It was at that point, once I set the framework, once I set the boundaries, once I knew what the border was, I was able to decipher the personal will of God. Okay? It's huge. That's humongous. Now, many people, every time they look at this, they're like, why do you have a missing piece, Jake? I know you, and that you probably are twitching because of that, right? <laughs> and I was, and I still do. So in my dorm room, I got to the end. The first time I put the puzzle together, it had the piece in there. Second time, I could not find it for the life of me. And so I don't know what that meant. So here's what I took it to mean. I took it to mean that I will always continually be working on my personal will and discovering God's will. So I left it incomplete. And then I got this sucker framed. I put it in my dorm room. And when I left my dorm room, I found the flipping piece. All right? <laughs> I do still have that piece. I still have that piece. But the deal is deciphering God's will. The most important thing is you set up the framework. That's why we need to know the providential will of God. That's why we need to obey the moral will of God because it sets up the framework for us to be able to decipher the personal will of God. All right, so let me do this. Let's talk about this. With all that in mind, would you like to know what the real challenge is in figuring out God's personal will, the inside of here? 
the personal will. Here's what it is. The real problem is not God's unwillingness to speak to us. The real problem is our unwillingness to follow through. I'll explain that. The truth is God wants us to know his will more than we want to know his will. But unfortunately, we have this tendency, this tendency where we ask God, we're like, God, I want to know your will and then I'll consider it. Okay? I'm going to put it in there. So God, here's what it is. I'm really interested in knowing what you want me to do with my life. And I'm going to put that into my basket of options. Or God, I, you know, I'd really love to know what you would do if you were me in this situation. And once you give me that information, I'm going to put that into my pile of possibilities and I will consider it. I'm telling you right now, in all love, God does not operate that way. He doesn't work that way. Here's the truth. God doesn't give out information for our consideration. He gives it out for our participation. Think about that. God does not give out information or direction on where we should go so that we can consider it, right? It's not consideration or contemplation. He gives it out for our participation. He assumes that we are going to jump into action. He assumes that we are going to uh, participate. God waits until we are at the point where we are like, okay, God, whatever you're going to say to me for your will, my answer is yes, yes, yes. Uh, Whatever it is, whatever you're going to tell me, I'm ready for it. I'm up for it. And when we get to that point in our lives, we will hear God loud and clear about what he wants us to do for our personal will, what he has for us personally. God has this astounding ability to be able to decipher and to discern whether or not we are fully bought in, whether or not we are ready to participate, or whether or not we are just sitting back and just ready to look at options. He knows. He knows the difference there. And so let's go back to this verse in Proverbs, and let's see how it all ties together. Here's what it says. Trust in the Lord with all. We all, so many of us know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all. Big word there. All is in everything, completely, entirely, wholly, without reservation, no gaps, with like full to the brim, all. Trust in the Lord with all your what? Your heart. And lean not or do not rely on your own understanding or fleshly perspective. In all, there it is again, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And that word acknowledge is very interesting because in the English translation, when we translate it to English, it's very weak. We say, I acknowledge you. I see your hand or I acknowledge that you're standing there. I, 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 I give notice to you. In the, in the Hebrew, in the original Hebrew, that word acknowledge means to be riveted, Right? means to be locked in, to be focused, to be rightly aligned. It's in all your ways be riveted to him. And what God is saying, in all your ways that you currently know about, so his providential will, in his moral will, in all your ways acknowledge him in that, and then what he will do is he will make it clear. He'll make your path straight. It'll make it known and obvious. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, that means you are leaning into him. Your answer is already yes, and he hasn't even told you. And in all your ways, so all the ways that you know, his providential and his moral will, all those ways, acknowledge him. That means that we need to know his providential will, and we need to obey his moral will. And he will make your path straight, right? 
He will make them straight. He will make it obvious. That means that you will know what you need to know when you need to know it. You will know what to do. You will know how to respond. You will know God's will for your life. Thomas Mertain, he was a famous Catholic munch, monk, munch. <laughs> That's hilarious. My sister is actually, her nickname is Munch, so she's going to love that. Um, Thomas Bertain, uh, he said this. He said it way better than I could. He said, we receive enlightenment only in proportion as we give ourselves more and more completely to God by humble submission and love. We do not first see and then act. We act, then see. And that is why the man or the woman who waits to see clearly before he or she will believe never starts on the journey. Friends, if you're at a place in your life where you're like, God, I'm not sure I'm ready to trust you fully yet. I'm not sure that um, I'm ready to participate. Then our God, the God who loves you, the God who cares about, we'd say, okay, that's all right, I'm sorry, but I just need you to know I don't operate that direction. But when you're ready to trust me completely, when you're ready to trust me wholeheartedly, when your answer is yes, it is then and only then that I will reveal my full will, my personal will for you. To summarize everything I just said, it could be said in this sentence, surrendering to the known will of God paves the path to discovering the unknown will of God. Surrendering to the known will of God paves the path to discovering the unknown will of God. It's obedience in what we do know that sets us up to discern what we don't know. Because God wants you, this is so big, he wants to bring you to a place where you're so humble, where you're so neutral in whatever he's going to say that the answer is yes. And then when he tells you that, when, he, when you're there, then he's going to tell you what you need to know. When it came to starting this church, this is where, right here on that roof, where I realized I needed to be a youth pastor. It was in my garage that I realized I needed to start a church when I was cutting out a Christmas tree for decoration at the church I was at before. Right? Some of you have heard this story. Some of you know that that Christmas tree literally is cut out and sitting in the lobby area. I think the reason I was able to hear God's voice clearly at that point in time versus the 17 years of ministry that I did before was because I was broken. I was at a place where I was willing to do whatever. I just walked through the worst thing you could possibly imagine, right? And so I figured, what else could happen? Let's do whatever you want, God. So what is it? And when I finally got to that place of complete, complete surrender, I heard God so so clearly. And again, I didn't hear an audible voice. And in two weeks, I'll talk about how do we discern that soft whisper that God will give us at times. But the only reason I even heard it in the first place was because I had gotten to a place of complete brokenness and surrender and obedience. And I was willing to do whatever, whatever. I didn't need to control my life at that point in time. I didn't need to tell God my plans and ask him to bless them. I wanted to know his plan. And I was blessed through that process. Here's what I've discovered as well, and I learned it in this process, is that God, for some reason, he, 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 well, let's say this, broken people, let's say that, broken people have an easier time discerning God's will. And you know what I mean by broken people? 
I mean people who by their choices or by circumstances in life have come to the end of their rope. They got nothing left. They're done. It's, that's all they can do. They're at that place. They're like, God, I don't want to make another decision right now because every decision I'm making is bad. I don't care what you're going to say. The answer is yes, I'm going with, with you. I don't dare make another decision. They're at rock bottom. And at rock bottom, it is so much easier to say, thy will be done. So much easier. And that's where we got to get to, is that place of surrender. And if you have never heard God's voice, maybe we've never reached that full place of surrender, that full place of brokenness. Let me conclude with answering the question that I asked in the very beginning. Why does God make it so stinking hard to discern his will? Why is he so mysterious? Because if my daughter Paisley were to come up to me and she were to say, Dad, I'd like to know what you'd like me to do this week, I would just tell her right? Wouldn't that be nice if God would just tell us? I wouldn't say to Paisley, well, you know my pattern of behavior, right? And you know the outline of the rules that we have in the house and all these type of things. I wouldn't do that. I would just tell her. That's what I would do. Here's why I think, this is Jake's opinion, that God takes the long approach to us discovering his will. It's because God is more interested in us discovering him than he is in us discovering his will. It's humongous, you guys. I said it at Easter. It's all about relationship. He wants to get to know us in the process. He wants us to get to know him. And so at the end of the process, when we're all said and done, right, we have a deeper level of intimacy. Check out what Philip Yancey says, great Christian author. Here's what he says. He says, I do not get to know God and then do his will. I get to know him more deeply by doing it. At the end of this process of submission and coming under obedience to God's providential will and his moral will, we will not only have the answer of what we should do for our personal will inside of our lives, we'll not only have an answer from a creator, we will have a deeper relationship, a new level of intimacy, understanding, and connection with the creator himself. I think that's what God wants in the first place. Right? And we're so worried about, well, God, if I go down the road and I take a left, will I go the wrong direction? What do I do then? <gasps> Guess what? If you go the wrong direction, you could turn around and come back the way and then try again. You really can. God's not so worried about you taking a misstep. He's more worried about you stepping away from him. And so he wants you to draw close to him. And when you get close to him and you get to know his providential will and his moral will and, and you start to obey that, then, then you'll start. You ever think about that? You ever notice that with your parents, like when you were younger, you kind of figured them out, right? You knew what you were going to say. That, literally, you would, you would, like your friends, like, do you want to come over? You want, you know, I'm like, I don't know. Well, maybe you should ask your parents. Well, I don't want to do that, right? Why? Because you knew what your parents were going to say, how did you know what your parents were going to say? Because you sat in your room and you figured them out. Well, if I'm going to go to mom first, because if I go to dad, right, then dad's going to say this. So I'm going to go in for mom and then we'll move over to dad and that'll work. And you figured it out. God literally just wants you to figure him out. Like to get to know him. You got to know your parents. That was how you were able to discern his will. And then he wants to just tell you it because he loves you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding because truly your own understanding won't get you there. 
but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight, right? Acknowledge him in his providential and in his moral will and he will make your path straight when it comes to the personal will of God for your life. I promise you he will. He's done it in so many of our lives in this room. He's done it in my life and I believe he can do it in yours. Let's pray.